Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday afternoon edition. We're glad you're able to join us today on this discussion, this quest for understanding and searching for Bible truths. Uh, with us today, we have Stephen Rouse in Harrisburg. That's how you say it, Jeff. Harrisburg. How are you doing, Stephen? Doing well. Welcome, everybody. And Scott from Exton. Oh, I know. I was trying to do a perfect Here one today. From Gettysburg. Hi, Scott. How are you doing today? Good to see you, Drew. Good to see you. So, Jeff, I wasn't meaning to pick on you, Jeff, but I do get a kick out of your Wednesday show when you go back and forth with that Harrisburg. Welcome. Yeah, well, you do you do know how to say Harrisburg correctly, but at least I don't get – I can't even see what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. And also, Jonathan is our, our webcast engineer with us today. How are you doing, Jonathan? And I think I know Jonathan's here. Yeah, he, he, he left a note that his microphone's acting up, so he may not uh, comment, but he is here in, with us. Okay, very good. So, everyone, we're, um, I wasn't here last week, but you had a very good discussion last week, and I think we're going to be taking it a little bit further and get a little more specific on addictions and things like that. Right, guys? Mm-hmm. Well, and specifically on, because last week we talked more about uh, the concept of addiction and the biblical concept of sin, um, and that people are addicted to sins, but we need to remember that it's sin. Uh, today we're going to be talking about specifically the question uh, that came in about pornography. What about, in particular, the questioner asked, what about couples whose marriage is being damaged by pornography and we want to help single people out there as well but huge huge epidemic problem of pornography some of the questions we'll be talking about today what are some biblical solutions uh what are biblical principles that we need to remember uh what are some of the dangers of it uh what are some of the lies that people can tell themselves the bible will say over and over be not deceived be not deceived there's a lot of lies and self-deception that goes on uh, with this and other sins. Uh, so starting off with l- looking for biblical solutions and answers to people who have become entangled in this type of sin. They're damaging themselves. They're damaging their marriages. And there will often be a lot of guilt and bad feelings later, but then just a repeat, recycle bad feelings and then repeat, recycle uh, so where do we want to start biblically to discuss this problem of pornography? I think one of the best places to go is Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew okay. chapter 5. Thank you there, Stephen. We'll be looking at Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30. And it's important to note that while uh, certainly the form of pornography and the accessibility of pornography has changed a lot, the sin itself has not changed. Jesus addressed this directly in the Sermon on the Mount 2,000 years ago. And we have to listen to his assessment of it, and we have to listen to his solution for it. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 27, this is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members 
then your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. All right, let's start breaking down verse by verse. Uh, the first verse, you've heard that it was said. The context of Matthew 5 is within the framework that people have been listening to the scribes and Pharisees tell them what God said. And we know that Matthew 23, Jesus describes scribes and Pharisees as having an external righteousness that didn't get to the internals. So you're white at sepulchers, but inside it's rotten. Well, if you're just working on externals, then you're going to be very careful to make sure that you do not commit what? Adultery. But Jesus goes much farther. So uh, let's start harvesting here. What are some of the important things that we need to learn from the next verse to Jesus's comment on that? You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And in the next verse there, let's start harvesting what we can learn out of that. Well, Jesus has already earlier in the Sermon on the Mount talked about really kind of the root of different sins. He's talked about murder comes from hatred and you don't need to just, well, as long as you don't kill the guy, you're okay. That's not what Jesus is saying. He says, don't, don't hate your brother in your heart. And here he's saying, don't just not sleep with somebody who's not your wife or your husband, but don't lust. Don't look to lust. Jesus draws the line of sin way back from where people might draw any number of lines short of adultery. Jesus says it starts with your heart. Side point here. Have you ever heard of somebody that got into adultery and then they said this, Oh, it just happened. It didn't just happen. There was something that preceded the adultery and that something was ignoring boundaries, creating lustful opportunities, et cetera. All right. Go ahead. What else in verse? Well, let me, can I, interject? I have a question for you to make it clear what we're talking about. Can you describe or define lust in this sense? Well, that's a good question. Well, Jesus says uh, the ESV renders it everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent. Um, Cause there are going to be times where y- your, your eyes might come across a billboard or your eyes might go across a, a magazine at the supermarket checkout or something, you know, where, something crosses your vision and you have to just, okay, I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to dwell on that image. You know, it was there, but the idea here is looking with the intent to lust and, and something doesn't have to be explicitly pornographic for you to lust over it. That's an important point to make. Some people say, Oh, well, it's not technically pornography. Well, if you're looking with lustful intent, that's sinful from what Jesus says here in Matthew five. But let me take it even a little step further. So lustful intent. Now, lust in and of itself doesn't necessarily have a, a sexual connotation, right? Lust is, they could break it down even further, lust. Lust can Greek be. Word, it, it, here, I think it does have a sexual connotation, but I imagine the Greek word could be used of other things. Uh, is Jeff, is this the same Greek word as in like the lusts? which could be any number of things. Yeah, I've been trying to say something for the last couple of minutes. I just realized my microphone was turned off. <laughs> this, is, this is just the basic word for desire. Uh, when Jesus says, with desire, I have desired to eat this supper with you. Uh, he uses the noun and the verb, uh, the same verb that's used here. Uh, when we talk about the lust of the flesh or the desires of the flesh in 1 John chapter 2, it's the noun that is used. 
the basic meaning is desire. Our translations tend to use the word lust when it's in a context where clearly it's an inappropriate desire, and they tend to use the word desire when it's in a context where it is an appropriate desire. So here, the context is clearly an inappropriate one, and the point that you all have been making is somebody looking for the purpose of desiring. In other words, it's not merely having desire. God has created us as sexual beings. It's not merely noticing a woman and seeing that she's attractive, but it's noticing a woman and saying, okay, let me look at her and imagine. Let me look at her so that I can desire her. Um, that's, that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. It's committing, he's committing adultery in his heart. Right. Um, so let's talk about maybe a couple things that it wouldn't be. Um, let's say if, if you, uh, notice that your, uh, uh, your granddaughter or your daughter or a friend or somebody, wow, that's a pretty girl. You know, and, uh, you, you know, maybe somebody's interested in her and say, oh, she's a real good girl. She's pretty, too. That's, it, is there anything wrong with noticing that a person is pretty? No, not at all. Does the Bible have people noticing that people were pretty? Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, what about a fellow who's planning to marry a girl and he's saying, I would like her to be my wife? Uh, uh, Scott, Scott, let me interrupt you. We, we always want to look at the scriptures. Can you give an example? Is David... Wouldn't David uh, uh, noticing a woman that was pretty? Well, that's a context in which his his noticing was inappropriate. Was it supposed to be exactly? But there is also another one of a different woman that wasn't he, wasn't it uh, Abigail? Well, yeah, the, the narrator at least introduces her, yeah, as being discerning and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's what I just wanted to make a con- uh, the, the context there. It is the context in which you're looking at. Right, exactly. The number of occasions Rachel is described as as beautiful of form and face. I think it's interesting that it says she was beautiful of form and face. Um, and, and so a number of co- times we see women described in terms that say they're beautiful, they're attractive. God meant for women to be attractive to men. Uh, but there's a difference in recognizing, Scott, you were going to talk about a young man. He's engaged to be married to a woman, uh, or he thinks he would like to marry this woman and asks her to marry him. I think a, a young woman would be rather insulted to think that, well, he wants to marry me, but he really doesn't find me attractive. Yeah. Yeah. If somebody said, what's she look like? I don't remember. What's yeah. her she, I don't know. You know, she would hope that he finds her attractive. She changed her hairdo. Um, but, does, if she's a godly woman, does he want, she want him sitting there in an expression often used, undressing her with his eyes? No. You know, that's an entirely different type of thing. And when a person is sitting at a computer, downloading images and watching people in non-dress or uh, undress and, and engaging sexual activity and stuff, they are, this is not anything innocent. That is not, why wow, that model's rather attractive. That's not what's going on. This is a, this is a sexual gratification issue, Stephen. And that's one of the things, if you're trying to help somebody get out of this, you've got to help them be first honest with themselves. We can make all kinds of rationalizations of, oh, I'm just appreciating their beauty. Really? <laughs> and and, and uh, Jesus is clear here. There's an intent here. There's a, there's a focus here. I'm going to take what is not mine. 
uh, and, and use that for my purposes, even if it's only mentally. Jesus is saying that's where we have to draw the line of sin. I like I like the way you phrase that. Take what is not mine and use it for my purposes. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's a, a good way of describing what's going on with uh, pornogra- pornographic viewing. Um, that's the problem that we want to get at. Guys, just let me interrupt here for a minute. Um, I want to just remind everyone in the audience that uh, we want to hear from you on this topic. Give us your questions, comments, or other uh, thoughts that you might be um, want to share with us on, on the program. Uh, but even questions that are not related to this, we always invite them as well, and we'll put them in the queue. Uh, but we want to invite you, if you're, you're watching us on uh, the app, BibleQuest.tv app, or the Facebook page, give us some, uh, some feedback. Thanks. I want to pose a question about Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18 is talking about unlawful sexual relations, and you're not to approach any of your close relatives, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the, the terminology in that text, I don't think is limited to just what it says. It's maybe a metaphor for referring to also what follows. But what's the language of the text when it is saying uh, you shall not what in regards to uh, your sister or uh, your brother's wife and such as that? Leviticus 18, you well, shall not uncover their nakedness right uh and and so clearly it's discussing people who uncover their nakedness and go beyond that but what what is significant about the way that it is phrased it says it's in the case of say for example um your father's wife in verse eight you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife it is your father's nakedness so there's a couple of points there one the body is private it's not just for everybody's viewing number two the nakedness of a woman belongs to her husband. Um, it's, it's not for everybody else's viewing. And so then that, that has some application then when we go to thinking about a man sitting and viewing the nakedness of, of women who are not his. Yeah. Uh, let's come back to Matthew 5 because there's so much more that we haven't gotten to yet. So we talked about the, the beginning of it. And if you look after a woman to lust after and you've already committed adultery in your heart. Now, what does Jesus tell us here along the idea of solutions? And, and let's hear some comment discussion on this. You've got to identify what's causing you to sin. And Jesus uses two examples of the right eye and the right hand. And he says, or what he doesn't say is notable. Uh, you know, if your right eye causes you to sin, well, you might like try to cut back a little bit or like patch it up or kind of like, you know, Take some of the, he says, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life without one of your members than having your whole body go into hell. Uh, Jesus is very clear that he says you identify the cause of the stumbling and you cut it off and throw it away. There's a complete severance is what Jesus recommends as the solution. So uh, how Scott, would that... Go ahead, Drew. Scott, we had... I don't know when you and I had the discussion, but how do we know that he's not meaning that in a physical, actual, literal sense? Well, uh, if I'm lusting after my neighbor's wife and I pluck out that eye, (laughs) we still got a problem. But there's a principle here. What's the principle? 
is the, the principle of cutting off, of yes. getting rid of whatever it is that causes you to sin. Uh, there's going to be places where it talks about flee, you know, uh, not yeah. just like, well, resist, but keep it around. It's like, get as far away from it as possible. Right. So give, let, let's give three or four scenarios where somebody might be in a situation where they're lusting, where they're or viewing pornography, or they're lusting after a woman that's not their wife, et cetera, et cetera. What are some things that a person might need to give up and cut off to get away from that? Well, if it's a computer, you can get rid of the computer. But, but it's my computer. How? I need my computer. Uh, what if it was his iPhone or smartphone? He'd have to get rid of that too. But, right, same thing. I can't phone. give up my iPhone. And, and, and sometimes people react like that. I need that. Well, do you need a hand? Do you need a foot? Do you need an eye? But Jesus is saying what? Cut it off. It would be better to go into heaven without something that you feel like you need, which you don't actually need. Is it convenient? Yes. Is it necessary? No. Holiness is necessary to see God. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm minded of? Uh, uh, you're saying some hard things, guys. And... Um, I'm, I'm mind, reminded of the time when the, the rich young ruler went to Jesus, yeah. and he said some hard things to him, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And he walked away sadly. So this is not something easy, but it's tough stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's important when you're trying to help somebody to come to this passage and to say, listen, there's some different strategies that we can try, but before we get into lots of different strategies, because there's things short of fully cutting something off that right. can be helpful to people. Right. But until in our hearts, we are ready to put everything on the altar and say, if the Lord Jesus, if my relationship with him is dependent on me being free from this, I will be willing to do whatever it takes to get free and to be pleasing to the Lord. I, I, I remember a, a fellow who there was a, girl at work flirting with him and, and dressing provocatively and he got to flirting back with her and when his wife found out about it he there was something he needed to do if, if you were in that situation there's a girl at work she's she's been she's been hitting on you and you've started responding so you're attracted to her she's attracted to you what do you need to do uh would you say Maybe start looking for another job quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I would say quit that job and, and, and get start looking for another job. He needed to get out of there. What did what did Joseph do uh, back in Genesis when Potiphar's wife grabbed a hold of him? Oh, he was he, in her hand. Yeah, he he was running so fast to get out of there. She still had his uh, scarf or his jacket. Yeah. So this principle of flee. So let's let's um. Uh, I want to ask a question in a minute, but. Let me open it up for any other discussion that somebody might have to say before I ask this next question. But in a minute, I'm going to ask about lies that we can tell ourselves. But continue on this, anything else that you guys want to bring up first? Let me just say, we've established the baseline principle. You've got to cut it off. Now, with technology, there's different ways that that can happen as well. Uh, that you can, you can put a password on your device, and by that I mean have somebody else put a password on your device so that you can't use it unless you're being supervised. Right. There's software that's available out there, two kinds of software. One is filtering software that will block a lot of the sites that you might go to uh, to access pornography. Another type of software is accountability software, where it monitors all of your internet activity 
and sends a report to someone of your choice so that you know that someone else is watching you. We know that God is always watching us, but there's something about also knowing someone else is going to get a report of everything I look at that can be a powerful deterrent in how am I going to use my time on the internet. And so there's things short of fully cutting things off that are available. But again, we've got to be willing to cut it off, get rid of it. Uh, I'm, I'm reminded of the scene from Fireproof. I don't know if y'all saw that movie. Yes. He's struggling with pornography and he takes his yeah. computer out back and says, no more parasites. And he takes yeah, the, he, uh, baseball bat. Oh yeah. So he I've takes a baseball bat and smashes it. Uh, and yeah. and that, that's, that's the principle that Jesus is getting at here. Yeah. Another thing that can be helpful, like if you're raising children, or this can be in a home where uh, a husband or wife has had a problem, have the computer in a public place, in a public room, used for in front of other people. Uh, to send kids to their room with, you know, computers without knowing what's going on in your child's life and stuff is just insanely dangerous. Um, it's if you you don't entrust a car to somebody without thinking about if they're ready for it you don't entrust a a, a firearm to you know a, a five-year-old unless you've done some well I wouldn't recommend it anyway but the thing is we we've got children now you know they know how to use a phone as a toddler and but by the time they get to be seven or eight let me just mention this one way that some people get into pornography it's good kids who they go to school and they hear a word that they don't know. Guys, what do we do when we hear a word we don't know? Google it. We Google it. You know what kids do when they hear a word they don't know? They Google it. Google. Yeah. And then Google doesn't just bring up documents. It also brings up pictures. pictures. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one way that some kids get pulled into this. We, a lot of thought needs to go into parenting instead of just assuming that every kid needs a smartphone and a computer in their room. It's, it's ridiculously dangerous. Yeah, it's super important for parents to be aware of the dangers and very clear in their teaching their children uh, and their conversations with their children and just aware that there's some way for them to monitor their children's activity and, of course, just not making it available to them in the privacy of their own room. Stephen, you were talking about the accountability before when you said sending a report to someone else. And, and that may seem to be a, a drastic step to take. But, you know, we accept that form of accountability for other addictions. Like when someone uh, joins AA, they get a, a sponsor and they're accountable with that other person. I mean, he could have, what would he have done to, to, to make the, the analogy? He says, well, you know what, in order not to drink anymore, I think I'll just st stitch my lips together. Well, no, there's steps you can take before you go that far. And one area is to get help from other people and, uh, and, and get involved with accountability. Yes. Where does the Bible say confess your sins one to another? James 5 and verse 16. Let's go there and read that because this, I think, it is, I don't know if underrated is the right word, but uh, an often underutilized strategy against fighting all sorts of different sins, honestly. Uh, but this sin in particular, this is something that has helped me tremendously. Uh, James, uh, James where? James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 
And there's some important things to say about accountability. Uh, one of the things that's important to say is that this is not just telling someone else what you're doing. Um, it's praying for one another. And it's finding someone who's doing better than you are. Yes. You've had some things to say about the blind leading the blind. What happens to them? Hey, I found this. Hey, I found this yesterday too. And <laughs> yes, I've been part of some conversations. Same here. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been part of conversations before where it's almost like a competition. Well, you think you're bad. Oh, I'm even worse. That's not productive. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about holding people accountable for what they're doing. One of the big things is a lot of times I hear about accountability and people talking to each other, but they talk after they've already sinned. And the big thing about accountability is you find someone that you can reach out to to help them when you're still being tempted, yes. when you first detect, hey, I, I, I've got a desire in me to do something that's wrong. I need to call somebody. I need to text somebody right now and pray with them, talk with them. And it is amazing. Even if they're not available in that moment, just the, the, the fact that you take that step to expose the sin. Satan does his best work in the darkness. Expose the temptation for what it is and say, I'm not going to go down that road. That helps tremendously when you're being tempted. If David, when he looked down and saw Bathsheba, if he would have said, you know, I'm going to talk to Nathan <laughs> and called Nathan the prophet and said, Nathan, okay, here's the situation. There's this pretty girl down there and she's bathing. Oh, how much better? But the thing is, there's a reason that sometimes people don't want to talk to somebody before they jump into sin. Yeah. For reason. They want the sin. They want whatever yes. temporary pleasure comes from it. Right. And so it's so important for accountability to be somebody. And let me just also say this, that it needs to be someone of the same sex that you are. Yeah. Uh, don't make your boyfriend or your girlfriend, your accountability partner that is asking for all kinds of trouble. Um, don't, don't do that. And again, if someone is coming to you and saying, I'm struggling with this, one of the things that you can do if you're doing well with that is to say, Hey, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, you know, call me, text me. Um, and I've been so grateful for people who've done that for me anytime, day or night kind of a thing. Uh, that, that can be tr one tremendous way to offer help to someone. So I want to get to this lies that we can tell myself because what, if there's somebody watching this live, watching podcasts, and you've been tangled in this sin, you have probably sometimes felt helpless, felt hopeless, that you, 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 and what you need to know is that there is forgiveness in Christ. And what you need to know is you don't have to keep doing this. And so we want to talk in a minute about some verses that where you can find uh, in, in addition to these solutions, hope and forgiveness and, 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 and deliverance. In other words, in Romans six, it, you're either a slave of sin or you're a slave of righteousness, but by being a slave of righteousness, you're free from that bondage of sin and, and free from that bondage. But one of the things that keeps people trapped is some of the lies that we can tell ourselves. And so I'll start with one, um, and then you'll ask some more. One lie that we can tell ourselves is the same lie that maybe some of the scribes and Pharisees were telling themselves. 
well, it's not so bad. I'm not actually committing adultery. You know, I'm, I'm not. There's a lot of men, a lot of married men, that get on their computer and they watch pornography. And they will find their sexual satisfaction from a computer screen watching women of ill repute on a computer screen. But these same men would never go to a prostitute. Why? There, there's a line there that they've drawn. Oh, I wouldn't do that. This isn't good, but I wouldn't do that. And sometimes we can draw some false lines and think, well, but I'm real. it's not really that bad because I didn't do that. And so Jesus responds to that lie in Matthew chapter five by saying, if you're looking at her to last after you're committed adultery already in your heart. And I want to illustrate that in a second, but first we'll go to Steve. Let me just say uh, on that same point, this is true. We're talking about pornography, but that's true of couples that are dating and you're not yet married. Yep. Well, we won't go all the way. And Jesus right. here is saying, any physical act short of that, any mental act short of that is already sin. So, scenario. Here's an individual. And if we've got somebody watching and this is you, I want you to think about this. You wouldn't go to a prostitute. If there's a loose woman in town, you're, you're not going to go get in bed with her. But you're gonna, you sat at your computer last night and you started looking for images and you found them. And you're looking at these women of ill repute. I want to ask you this question. Suppose a woman of ill repute in your community just went around and in the car, you know, with a horn, you know, loudspeaker or something, just let everybody know, tonight I'm going to be at the park and I'm going to be taking off my clothes. Anybody that wants to come watch can watch. And there's going to be some people down there. Who are, who are going to be the, the perverts are going to be down there, right? You know, so, some of the, you know, the, the guys that coming out of the bar, they're going to be down there. Hey, she's got and would, would you go down there? Would you go down and sit on the bench beside a bunch of other perverts and watch that woman do that? And, and we would all say no, but if the reason we would say no is because people would see me there. Boom. Yeah. And when you're sitting at your computer looking at that same woman, you're not the only guy looking at her either. And you're not unseen. Because God sees what we're doing and he sees what all the so what is the difference? Self-deception. And it's important to remember, and this is a whole bigger subject, it is just remembering that. I've heard it likened before to uh, the people who make pornography. It's a little bit like a health class taught by a cigarette salesman. Yes. Uh, it's not, they're not going to tell you the truth. They're going to tell you what's going to keep you coming back for more. Yes. And, and people who make pornography, they're not telling you the truth about human behavior. They're not telling you the truth about the way people are supposed to look or react or function. They are telling you lies straight up lies that are supposed to keep you coming back. And of course we have public health crisis now uh, going on because people yes. aren't satisfied with real humans because of yes. manipulated yes. images that they've been seeing on the computer screen. And some, again, it's important. You're trying to help somebody help them reveal, help them to see the lie that pornography really is. Yeah. 
What about this lie? I can't help myself. Give a, give a, let's hear a biblical response to that. This temptation is so hard, uh, there's, there's no escape for me. Oh, first, go ahead. Go ahead. You so, got it. Whoever, whoever started talking, somebody was going to say 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Go ahead. 10, 13. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is a verse of tremendous comfort because it tells us that it's never going to be too difficult, but it's also a verse of tremendous responsibility because it tells me that anytime I sin, I rejected the way of escape. God was faithful. It's not his fault. It's my fault for taking uh, the sin and, and failing to take the way of escape. So it's comforting, but it's also challenging because it means I can't fall back on the excuse that I couldn't help it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And it says there's a way of escape. Well, what might that be? What was the particular sin that 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10 is about? Idolatry. Yeah. And were the Corinthians writing Paul and saying, hey, I think we should be idolaters. I think being an idolater is okay. I think Zeus is God. Is that what they were arguing? No, they actually were able to kind of rationalize and come up with an explanation for why what they were doing was okay. We, we know that no idol is anything. I can go down to the idol temple and participate in the feast and get a good meal because in my own mind, I know that that idol is really not a god, so I'm not really involved in anything wrong. But they were deceiving themselves. But in that same context, too, isn't it? Idolatry is the key theme there. But it's talking about uh, example giving of the they were in the of the Old Testament. They were indulging in sexual immorality, which is the mm-hmm. basis mm-hmm. of idolatry. So yeah. it does relate to the thing you're talking about. Yeah, he does. He speaks about fornication as an example of the Israelites' uh, disobedience, along with idolatry, and he makes the point, look, you think you've been baptized and you eat the Lord's Supper, so you're good to go, and it doesn't matter how you live now. Well, he says, think about the Israelites. In chapter 10 in verse 2, he says, they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Uh, did they, they all ate the same spiritual food and the spirit, same spiritual drink in verses 3 and 4. In other words, something corresponding to your being baptized and, and eating the Lord's Supper, and yet what happened when they got in the wilderness? Well, they went back to idolatry and fornication and these other sins, and they didn't make it to their promised land. And so the warning is to us. I'm a Christian. I've been baptized. I go to church every Sunday. I eat the Lord's Supper. Yes, but if Friday night or Saturday night or whatever, I'm sitting around engaging in sin, viewing pornography, um, gratifying myself in those kinds of ways, uh, I'm like the Israelites. I'm not going to make it to my promised land. Right. And where they're trying to justify, well, I'm, I'm not really being idolater. I'm just there for the, and, and Paul has to deal with all these things. And then this is where he says, there's no temptation facing you, but there is a way of escape. The very next verse tells what it is. In this case, the sin was idolatry. It's the next was idolatry. And what did he say about it? Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Yeah. And what are they trying to do? Their argument is, I ought to be able to participate 
Uh, to a point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Paul's, he says, there's a way of escape. Flee. And so, you know, here's the person. I, I keep looking, you know, at, at these images on my smartphone. Please. Get rid of the smartphone, number one. Use that to reach out to other people. Uh, number two, get help when you're in that situation. Put some software on there that will either tell other people for you, uh, which is not a substitute for you opening up to people. Uh, or filters that will help keep you from accidentally going places you don't need to be going. Um, but one of the things I appreciate, um, this is something that was brought up in that book I mentioned last week, Finally Free, is that three things have to come together for you to sin, really in any way, but for you to view pornography. You have to have access to it, number one. And that's what Jesus is saying. Cut off the access. There you go. Two, you have to have time to do it. And that's something else that you need to think about is filling your time with good things. So many times people fall into the sin when they're sitting at home, not doing stuff they're supposed to be doing, and they're they're bored or they're they're tired or whatever. Right. David was supposed to be out at war. Yeah. And he stayed home, and that's what led to that whole thing. So you have to have access to it, you have to have time to view it, and then you have to have the desire to view it. And this third one is, is really what you want long-term. If you've gotten addicted to something, it's going to be very difficult for you to turn that desire around overnight. So you might have to take drastic measures in the first two areas. But in time, what you want to do is to learn to hate the sin, to learn to change your heart, change your desires to where you want what's good and what's right. Yes. And one thing, go ahead, Scott. Abhor what is evil, cleave to what is good, Romans 12 says. Uh, Jonathan. Yeah, and, and I think that's interesting what, what Stephen said, because what I've, what I've noticed with myself and talking with others, um, you said you need to learn to hate the sin. What a lot of people in their struggles with pornography um, tend to do is begin to hate themselves, which is not helpful. Right. Um, and, and you start getting into condemning self-talk and those types of things where you're just so terrible and so awful and you beat yourself down and down. And usually, not all the time, but usually when you find yourself at the very bottom, that's at your weakest point when that's easy for you to just sin again. And you start thinking, well, I've already been looking at pornography. One more time is not going to hurt. I'm already this terrible. I can't get much worse. Might as well just keep on going on with it. And, and that's not the type of thing that you need to do. And so a, a biblical thing, and maybe we could talk about this for a little while, is the type of grief that you need to train yourself to have. Godly sorrow. Second Corinthians chapter 7. Yeah, that godly sorrow. So in Second Corinthians chapter 7, um, Paul is writing to the Corinthians again, and he's talking about the first time whenever he wrote to them, and that hurt them, that caused them to be grieved. And in verse nine, he says, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and it's important that distinction there. Yeah. Steve. Yeah. Can I, can I share my screen for just a second? I was just about to bring this up when and showed this. So let me uh, share my screen. Oh, yeah, I love this. This is so Bring good. this up. Uh, so here we've got a, a picture of what we need to do. Uh, it's to understand God's grace. Uh, here you've got a guy who feels so burdened down by his sins. And here's, so to speak, God offering, I'll forgive your sins if you'll repent. 
but we're so, we just feel like we're so dirty. We've done so much wrong for so long. We think, well, one more sin won't matter. And so we sin again. And this is the guy like second Corinthians two, he's overcome with too much sorrow. Uh, and, and he's continuing in his sin because he feels like there's no way out. On the other hand, we've got the guy uh, who sees, wait a minute, God's going to forgive all of my sins. I just repent and ask him for forgiveness and he just forgives my sins. And well, one more sin won't matter. Right. And this is the guy in Romans chapter six and verse one, who says, let us continue in sin that grace may abound. And of course, Paul says, no, may it never be. And in the middle is the guy who realizes and is grateful for the forgiveness that God offers, that now I'm free to pursue purity because God has forgiven me of those sins. And I love Titus 2, where it talks about the grace of God that teaches us to deny these worldly pleasures and to live upright lives. Grace can, 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 be misused. But when we understand God's grace properly, uh, it frees us to pursue purity. So that's one way I pictured it. And this uh, chart is so good. Uh, I remember when first time I saw you do this chart and uh, I think it's my favorite of all the charts I've seen you do. And just the other day, somebody was referencing this uh, chart because it really does touch on those two mistakes of thinking, well, I've done so many sins and I'm so lost already. What does it matter? Or I can do whatever I want because it's Jesus' job to forgive me. Very good. I'm glad you brought that up. I want to share something as well. And this has to do with self-hate is not what we need. We do need self-shame when we're doing what's wicked and a desire and a confidence that we can do and an appreciation of grace. Um, and to help see what we're, what we're like, if we're doing this sin, uh, I think this might be helpful. Um, this is, oh, let me see. I forgot to share screen. And then let's turn to, in just a minute. First Corinthians seven. I do want to talk about that. Uh, but let's take a look at this here. So here we have in the news. Um, <coughs> I see that. Mm -hmm. All right. So. What do we have there? We have a peeping Tom caught uh, by the porch camera on camera. And so what would we all realize this guy is? A pervert. Yeah, yeah. Because he's sitting there watching someone else. And that's just really, really wicked. Now, if the woman inside had told people in the community, I'll leave the curtain open, and he and a bunch of people came to look, would that really make it okay by any means? No, it's still wicked. And what's the difference between this guy and the person sitting at their computer? In principle, there's really no difference. All right. And then let's turn over, unless somebody has another comment first, I do want us to talk about 1 Corinthians 7 and Proverbs 5 just a little bit. Does anybody have any comment on these other things? Before we go there. Two minutes. <laughs> oh, okay. Real quick then. First Corinthians chapter seven. Before I read this passage, if you, and I'm talking, women can have problems with pornography too. And maybe another time we can dress something like that. But often it's men who are looking at the visual pornography. And that's what I'm going to talk to right now. If you are involved in pornography, do not use 
some failing of your wife as your excuse. Well, she didn't keep herself fit. Well, she got old. Well, she's not there for me. Don't try to put this off when you are sinning. Having said that, is marriage supposed to be a place where there is the proper relationship of the sexual relationship? Yes, in First Corinthians chapter 7. Yeah, verse 2. But because of fornication and in prevention of it, let each man have his own wife. And let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife her due. Let also the wife to the husband. The wife does not have power over her own body, but the husband. Likewise, the husband does not have power over his own body, but the wife. Do not defraud one another, except it be by <laughs> that you may give yourselves a prayer and may be together again, that Satan tempt you not. Now, if your spouse is not doing what they did, should do, that doesn't mean you have an excuse to give in to Satan's temptation. But if we are married, please remember what you said when you got married. They said, do you take this man to heaven to hold? Do you take this woman to heaven to hold and to keep to yourself and to him alone and her alone? And what did you say? You said what? I do. We'll do it. Don't be the stumbling block. In Proverbs chapter 5, it talks about the, the, the husband to be intoxicated in his wife's love, satisfied with her breasts. There is a joy in the relationship of marriage that is supposed to be there. It's not dirty. It's not wrong. It's supposed to be. It's God's idea. And when you marry, you're to be there for that other person. And if you've got someone and they're there for you and instead you're on the computer, shame on you and repent. But if you're in a marriage and you're not being there for your spouse, don't be failing to keep your covenant. When you married, it was for a purpose. And honor that covenant. Uh, guys, that, that, that's a good note to end on. We've come to the end of the program for today. We want to invite everyone, uh, whether you're listening to the program live or you download a podcast and listening to it, the recording, please go to BibleQuest.com. <coughs> give us your feedback, your, your, your comments, your questions, and, and we'd love to hear from you. Anyone else want to say other things before we close out? Uh, just if somebody is out there and and is concerned about this in your life and you want some help and you want some some continued biblical help in, in, in private discussion over email, uh, give us a holler and um, we want to help people with this. Jesus died for your sins. And he died for your sins and my sins and everybody's sins, not so that we would keep doing them, but that we can leave them behind and walk in righteousness. And we want that for you. Scott, since you offered that, I'll give your email address out. It's scott at biblequest.org or .tv, either one. Uh, but you can email any of us, first name at biblequest.org. Guys, thank you very much. Scott, appreciate everything you said. All of you, because I appreciate everything you said, your input today. I look forward to seeing everybody next week, same time, 2 o'clock. Thank you. Thanks, guys.